Good morning to you all. It is lovely to be with you in the house of our Lord. And so nice to see many of you starting to move forward. I wonder why that is. I invite you to turn with me in your scriptures to the book of Acts, chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 5 to 21. And um, I do encourage you to, to bring your own scriptures. If you hear something read, you take in about 40% of it. If you hear it read and see it while it's being read, you take in about 70%. If you hear it and see it and later on read it again, you take in, they say, up around about 90%. That's just rough ballpark figure of what I've been told. Acts chapter 4, reading verses 5 to 21. The next day, the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. This is in the time of the early church. And the elders and teachers of the law, in other words, the Sanhedrin, the high priests, all of the Pharisees, all of those guys. Annas, the high priest, was there. Who was the high priest when Jesus was crucified? No. Pilate was the Roman authority. It was Caiaphas. Okay? So Annas is now the high priest. You were a high priest for one year. Okay? Annas is now the high priest. And so were Caiaphas... John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. It all was very much within the family networks. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Well, we'll talk about that in a sec. Then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred 
together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Let me show you uh, a picture. What's wrong with this picture? It is very lopsided. Yes, very lopsided. Of course, it's the famous cartoon picture of the Etamuga pub, which in Australian cartoons is sort of very famous. And you can see it in real life in Albury. I understand there's another one that's being replicated in Queensland, and this morning we were told there's one in Western Australia as well. So there's at least three of these Edamuga pubs that have been recreated in Australia. And the problem with its construction is that it's all Excuse me for using technical language here. This is a very Australian technical word. The problem with the construction is that it's all higgledy-piggledy. Do you know what the word higgledy-piggledy means? Would it collapse eventually? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, it's all over the place. It's not been built very well. Um, to our friend from, uh, from France, welcome, lovely to have you with us. But do you know the word higgledy-piggledy? Okay, then you must ask Victor over lunchtime or over dinner tonight, what does the word higgledy-piggledy mean? Because it's a very Australian word. Very Australian. Once you understand what higgledy-piggledy means, you can honestly call yourself an Australian. <laughs> there you go. To be sure, a building like this is an engineer's nightmare. Absolutely, because none of the walls are straight or square. It's one of those buildings that's just been put together by volunteers who you wonder what they had been drinking. It's all over the place. Just a bit of this here and a bit of that there and, oh, well, that looks as though it might fit there. And It is an engineer's nightmare. And part of the reason for this is that the structure doesn't have any clear dimensions at its base. 
It was never built using a plumb line to keep the walls straight and perpendicular. It was never built according to any plan or design. It just was added on to and it's all higgledy-piggledy. For the building to be architecturally sound, it needed a cornerstone. A single point from which everything else found its direction and dimension. It needed a cornerstone so that the builders would make everything perpendicular and horizontal to that. This cornerstone determines your flat level, it determines your north-south, it determines your east-west, and it determines your vertical. This cornerstone is so critical to the building of any structure. The cornerstone is against which everything else is aligned and measured. You know, the same can be said for the church today. The church needs to have a cornerstone, a point of reference from which everything else is taken. But it's not only talking about the structure of the building, but more importantly, the structure of our life and of faith and witness in the Lord. We need to have a single point of reference for our life. A single point of reference for our life. We need a cornerstone against which everything in our life is judged and valued and finds its direction. Otherwise, if you sort of are happy to adopt all the different philosophies of life and all different community attitudes, and oh yes, well that will fit, and oh that's okay, and that's okay, you'll end up building your life like the Etamuga pub. All higgledy-piggledy. I told you it was a technical word. The setting for our reading was in the early days of the church following the events of that Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the early believers who were gathered in the upper room. And from that point in time, the church grew rapidly under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit and under the leadership of the apostles, especially Peter and John. To be sure... It was a very exciting time in those early years of the church and literally thousands, tens of thousands of people came to a vital living faith relationship with God, free from the entrapments of ritual and tradition and sacrifice. It was all about faith in God. And despite all this excitement and growth, there were those within the hierarchy of Judaism who were opposed to this faith movement. They felt threatened 
with the loss of their traditional power and control. Because those who administer ritual, those who administer tradition, have the power. Because if your life is based on these rituals and traditions and the rulers withdraw it, then where is your life? So these guys, rather than rejoicing in what God was doing in their midst, they chose to oppose it. In Acts chapter 4 verse 3, we read how on one day the Jewish leadership, that is the Sadducees and the captain of the temple guard, arrested Peter and John and detained them overnight. We never know what the charge is for their arrest. We're never told. We're not told if, in fact, there was an actual charge. But they were detained. And it is an important statement because in Jewish law, no one can be put on trial after the sun has set. In other words, even though they were arrested, they couldn't immediately be brought before a judge because the sun had set. So they were just held in the jails. And as an aside, you must ask yourself the question, what does this tell us about the trials of the Lord Jesus? Because if you remember, Jesus was arrested just post-midnight in the Garden of Gethsemane, he'd been up there for a number of hours, praying. And the guards came, they arrested Jesus. They didn't put him into jail. They, put, they took him to the home of Caiaphas the high priest, who interrogated Jesus and determined by his authority that Jesus was guilty, worthy of death. There was a special meeting of the Sanhedrin at which Jesus was then also tried and once again condemned to death. And then Jesus was taken to Herod and Herod said, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with this. All this was before sunset. It was only after sunset that Jesus was then taken to Pontius Pilate to be judged. So all the previous trials of Jesus were kangaroo courts. They had no legitimacy in Jewish law. And yet they dared to condemn Jesus to death. With the arrest of Peter and John, after sunrise the following day, Peter and John were then brought before the ruling Sanhedrin and interrogated. This was a legal trial. They were asked a question. By what power or by what name have you done this? And of course, 
what they were referring to was the healing of the lame man as recorded in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. By what power and what name have you healed this crippled man? Now, they never said, well done. They never said, this man has been crippled and has been begging outside the temple courts for how many years? We know this man. Everybody knows this man. He was a beggar because of his crippled body. They never ever said, well done. They asked the question, by what power have you done this? And they asked the question, by what name? Where's your authority come from? Where has your power and authority come from to heal this crippled man? Of course, this is one of the miracles which opened the way for thousands of people to come to a new faith understanding of the power of God at work in and through the Lord Jesus. Everybody else knew, everybody else knew that it was the power of Jesus at work in Peter and John and that it was in the name of Jesus that this man was crippled. Everybody else knew it and they praised God for it. But these members of the Sanhedrin They were more interested in their own power. As Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin and faced the harsh questions of their accusers, they realised that this was one of those divinely appointed opportunities for them to again proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus. In verse 8, we read how Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly enabled to challenge these political rulers and intellectuals of the day who were spiritually dead in their mere ritualism and traditions. Peter and John, who had been common Galilean fishermen, dared to challenge the socio-political and religious status quo of the day, These fishermen from Galilee of all places. I mean, it's like Galilee? Remember? Can anything good come from Galilee? That was the question that was asked. They were seen as second-rate Jews. And here they dared to challenge the social administrators of the nation of Israel. They dared to challenge the political leaders and they dared to challenge the religious leaders of Judaism. They dared to challenge the theologians of the day about God. The people who should have known but were blind. In verses 9 to 12, Peter merely stated the facts. He boldly declared that the miracle of this man's healing was done in the name of, that is, by the authority of Jesus of Nazareth. Let's read these verses. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means 
he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Wow. Peter and John really socked it to them. You crucified this Jesus. This man is healed because of Jesus. You killed Jesus. God raised him. The, un, the unsaid question is, so what are you going to do about it? You killed this Jesus. God raised him from the dead. What's your response to that? That question was never asked. But it hangs there like the elephant in the room. The authorities could not deny that the man who had been crippled from birth was now well and whole in body. And Peter squarely charged the Jewish authorities with the death of the Lord Jesus. Not only that, Peter clearly stated that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God himself. You can almost see the authorities squirming in their seat. Because if this is all true, as Peter has declared, it means that everything they have done has been fighting against God. If ever there was an opportunity for the ruling Jews to squash the emerging church, they, they could have demolished the emerging church. They could have stopped it then and there in its tracks. This was the time for them to do it. All they had to do was dispute the claim of the resurrection. Publicly deny it, dispute it, and in so doing, produce the bodily remains of Jesus. After all, had they not been the ones who had gone to Pilate and asked for a guard to be put on the tomb of Jesus? For three days and three nights, that, that guard was at the tomb protecting it. These authorities, they had the power, they had the control. And after the third day and night, in the early hours of the morning, the Jewish New Day, something had happened that those guards were witness to. The stone was rolled away. By the way, those stones can weigh two or three ton. And they actually roll it downhill across the entrance of the tomb. So you've got to roll two or three ton up a slight gradient to open the tomb. It usually takes three or four men with levers and wedges and things. These authorities had control of the tomb and it was the soldiers who had seen something apart from the stone being rolled away they had seen something and they fainted 
these hardened soldiers who were battle-hardened, who had been in wars, who had killed men, and yet something frightened them into unconsciousness. And when they woke up, they fled to these authorities and told them what was happened because they were in fear of their own lives for deserting their post. All the authorities had to do was produce the bodily remains of Jesus, but they did not. For one very simple reason, they couldn't. They knew that the claim of resurrection was true. But they chose to protect their own power base. Peter then made a profound statement concerning the Lord Jesus in verse 11. This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Judaism had become so distorted by rituals and laws and traditions, it was like the Edamuga pub. It had lost its cornerstone. It had lost its foundation in God himself. And it was a religion that had become so higgledy-piggledy. And here, Peter is clearly saying, this Jesus whom you crucified has become the chief cornerstone of the work of God in the future. Yes, the Lord Jesus has become the measure by which we should all evaluate our true faith relationship with God. Jesus is the cornerstone. Not ritualism, not sacrifices, not traditions. Jesus. And the Jewish authorities, through their pride and arrogance, rejected everything for which Jesus stood, and so they condemned themselves. If we want to build our lives in a right relationship with God, then let every aspect of our lives be determined by and measured against the Lord Jesus, who is the cornerstone. You know, in the 1970s and 80s, I... um, as I was on my own spiritual journey before I became a Christian, there was a movement here, um, I think it started in America, but it came here to Australia, and, and I was very impressed with it. And it was significant in my own faith journey because the movement was particularly geared to young people. Young people were wearing bracelets, were wearing necklaces, I had a poster in my room at home and it was the WWJD movement. Have you heard of it? Okay. WWJD. What would Jesus do? That was significant for me. My life was in a mess at the time and it gave me a focal point. I started to read the Bible and pray and ask the question, okay, in this situation, what would Jesus do? 
that's what I will do. In another situation, what would Jesus say? And that's what I would say. What would Jesus say? Every part of my life, I surrendered to what would Jesus do? And it led me here today. Jesus became the cornerstone for my life. That's what Peter challenged these authorities with. Had Peter gone far enough? By no means. He then went on to affirm the sole supremacy of the Lord Jesus when he made this statement, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Only Jesus. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. Despite all their political promises, Malcolm Turnbull or Bill Shorten cannot save you. And they have no interest in saving you. They only want to win the next election. And they will make promises to you based on what they think is going to give them the highest votes in the next election. Malcolm Turnbull... Bill Shorten have no interest in saving you from anything. Likewise, the infotech gurus like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg cannot save you. Oh, these guys, they might be worth a lot of money and they might give millions of dollars to charity every year. But um, what did I read just the other day about Apple? What's it now worth? A trillion dollars? That's a thousand billion dollars. So the millions of dollars they give to charity, not worth a cracker. If they really wanted to benefit people, all people today, they'd lower the cost of their product. That would be a help. But they're not saving anybody except increasing their own savings. Likewise, neither can modern scientists like Stephen Hawking, who's now deceased, Timothy Berners-Lee or Jane Goodall. They can't save you with their, with their science. Neither can religious figures like Buddha, Muhammad, the Dalai Lama or Pope Francis. They cannot save you. All they can do is maybe give you a philosophy, although Buddha is dead and there's about 30 of his fingers floating around Asia in the different temples. Must have been an amazing man to have had so many fingers. Muhammad can't save you. He's dead. He's buried somewhere in Saudi Arabia. The Dalai Lama certainly can't save you though he's a very nice man. And Pope Francis, he can't save you. He's struggling to hold his priesthood together now. No, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Only the Lord Jesus can truly make a difference in our lives in the here and now. And only the Lord Jesus can truly make a difference in our lives in the future beyond the grave. Only the Lord Jesus can save us and restore us into a right relationship with God. Wow. Having listened to Peter and his challenge to these authorities and having all the wind blown out of their sails, what was the response of these Jewish authorities? Well, in verses 13 to 16, Luke tells us of four responses that they made. The first one was that they marvelled at the boldness of Peter and John because they saw them as uneducated, un untrained in public speaking. And yet, here they were confounding these authorities with their words. Verse 13 is your reference there. Secondly, they could not refute the claims of Peter and John because the former crippled man was standing right in front of them. They couldn't deny the miracle. Verse 14 is your reference. Thirdly, they conferred among themselves as to what action they could take because they could not deny that a miracle had happened. Rather than praising God, they tried to find a backdoor way of managing and controlling the situation to their own advantage. And verse 16 is your reference. And fourthly, they resolved to try and silence Peter and John using threats and intimidation. Verse 17 is your reference. Despite all the irrefutable evidence before them and having no legal basis on which to convict Peter and John, the Jewish authorities commanded them to no longer speak and teach the name of Jesus to the people. This was tantamount to bullying, to censorship, and is no different to what the authorities in many countries in the world today are still trying to do, including here in Australia. We cannot tell children about Jesus in our schools anymore. We have been censored. And you try and go out in some of the parks, go out into Ruffy Park Lake, get a box, stand on the box and start to talk to people about the Lord Jesus and see how quickly the authorities come to shut you down. You do not have a permission from the council to do any public speaking. But if you want to talk about any other social issues, oh, that's fine. Just don't mention the name of Jesus. Were Peter and John intimidated or silenced by the threats of these godless religio-political leaders? No, they weren't. Not at all. Peter and John did not submit to the bullying tactics and demands of the authorities. Neither did they skulk away only to continue their ministry in the shadows. 
On the contrary, they gave answer to the authorities by saying in verse 19 and 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. You tell us, should we be listening to you or should we be listening to God? They were silent. Because if they said, oh no, you meant to listen to God, then Peter and John could have said, well, why aren't you listening to God? Here's the man healed in the name of Jesus. God's saying something to you. Why aren't you listening? And if they had have said, no, you listen to us, then Peter and John said, would have said, so you're putting yourself above God, are you? Oh, oh. Brilliant question. Peter and John said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter and John were sure of their conviction in the Lord Jesus and no one was going to silence them with threats and intimidation. And as they declared, what is more important in life, to bend and succumb to the pressure of society or to listen to and be obedient to the will and purposes of God? Don't let society intimidate you. Don't let them silence you. When there is something important that God wants you to say, be bold and stand up and say it. Trust in God and he will defend you. Brothers and sisters, this is the challenge before the church in every place, time and generation. If we bend and succumb to society's pressure groups, norms and values, we cease to be the true church of the living God. And society's norms and values, they change because they have no reference point. That's why society today very much is like the Edamuga pub. It's all over the place. It's higgledy-piggledy. It's through the enabling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we're given the courage, determination and strength to stand for God and not be silenced by the forces of principalities and powers at work in the world today. Ephesians 6 verse 12 is a reference. Know this with all certainty, the Lord has won the victory. And as we read in Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the principalities and powers, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. The principalities and powers of this world are defeated. They just don't know it yet. Yes, the Lord Jesus has already won the victory and we all have and all we have to do is take our stand for him we have an inheritance that cannot be taken from us regardless of any short term sufferings we may be called upon to endure no one can take your salvation from you God has given you the gift of salvation and no one can take it from you. Some in the church at different times have let it go. And God's 
purpose is always to draw those whom he loves back into fellowship with him. Peter and John took their stand for the Lord Jesus. They endured the threats and intimidations of the authorities and they boldly proclaimed the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, should we do anything less? As Daniel Whittle wrote in his famous hymn or song, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known, nor why, unworthy as I am, he claimed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. And it will always remain a mystery as to why God should love us so much. To reveal himself in the person of the Lord Jesus and endure the sufferings of the cross for you and me. It will always remain a mystery. We are a third-rate planet revolving around a third-rate sun in an out-of-the-way part of the universe, and yet God loves you and me so much that he would present himself in the person of the Lord Jesus to take upon himself our sin and our suffering our shame. He bore it all for you and me. For you and me. The question remains as to what our response should be. When the Sadducees and Pharisees were confronted by Peter and John, they had the evidence before them and they rejected. What about you? Do we allow ourselves to be bullied, intimidated and silenced by, by the forces around us? Do we knuckle under and cultol to the world? Do you know that expression to cultol? You know that one? Oh, good. Yeah. I'm just checking that you sort of understood this language. <laughs> or do we stand up and be counted through the strength and enabling of God's Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6, wonderful passage. As you read it, as you remind yourself today, I pray that we will always choose Jesus and never allow ourselves to be pushed down or pushed under. Let me pray. Father God, Thank you for your Holy Spirit who enables us every day to make a stand for you. Lord Jesus, we give you the honour and the glory and may our words never return to us or to you void, but they, may they always bring and reap a harvest for your kingdom's glory. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. I didn't know that uh, WWJD has been around for so long. I thought it's only like 
15 years ago. I actually have a cup at home, WWJD. He said, what would Jesus drink? <laughs> I'm serious, I can show you. And I'd probably say, why? <laughs> Thank you for stirring our hearts. I think it's an appropriate closing song. Uh, shall we stand as we sing this uh, song as a reminder that it is by faith Children of the promise 
will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our enabler who gives us courage to uh, walk, to stand up for you in this time of this century, the history of the time that we are here. We thank you. May your Holy Spirit empower us to be courageous, to live out our faith, to never fear, to never fear, Lord, to always trust in you, to have you, Spirit, empowering us to do what we needed to be done here. Thank you, Lord. May the love of God surround you. May the grace of God astound you. And may the hope of God ground you now and forevermore. Amen.